the couch, I just can't wait to watch Family Guy on our very first date. Is it cool if I turn it up? Is it wrong if I think that Quagmire's cool? Do you like the funny baby? He's not as cool as the funny talking dog. I'm just scared of the old man Herbert. He's funny, but he's also a creep. Hold on, don't go. Family Guy's almost over. Is it funny that he's a talking baby? A baby, a baby, a funny British baby. A baby, a baby, Stewie's a talking baby. Yay! Like I said <laughs> before we started rolling, uh, not my not my strongest, but uh, there's some Hall of Famer lines in there. You I think you gave it the honest, you gave it an honest shot, honestly, and I do like that you incorporated um, Quagmire and Herbert into the stew of this song. <laughs> those now. are the gross guys. Uh, stew, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, those are the gross guys. <laughs> yeah, those are the. You know, I, <laughs> they had to make I don't know. Dance. I think those guys are pretty cool. <laughs> you think those guys are pretty cool? <laughs> fucked up some ways i am thinking about checking out some new family guy like what do you think they do now oh i can tell you what they do now it's exactly oh, yeah, you the guys, same don't you guys do like a, a podcast about that no are you don't no not yet i i don't think we've ever done a family guy pod specific podcast yet i feel like that'll be a patreon once we get that we keep <laughs> threatening a patreon the last couple of episodes mm. that's been a bit that we're setting up a Patreon, and I do feel like if we do some Patreon content, it has to be Family Guy related. Oh, absolutely. I want to know like what a new episode of Family Guy is. It's been like maybe ten years since I've seen Family Guy. It's, it's gotta be, and I'm not a huge Family Guy fan, but I have to imagine that the current episodes of Family Guy are are way less embarrassing than a current Simpsons episode. And you'll be a hundred percent correct because what happened with Family Guy. Is uh, resident family guy expert Noah Marger talking on the podcast for a sec? Uh, what happened is is they were really amazing. You know, they were just an amazing show, and then it got yeah awful. It was just just dog shit, disgusting, like absolutely atrocious. And then something yeah. happened. I think they're on season, I want to say 18, 17 or eighteen now. Something happened around season fifteen or sixteen where it got good again like it was like funny like it's not like gonna be prime family guy but it's way better than right. it was and if you watch any episode like you said mason from current simpsons i'm stealing this term but it really does feel like zombie simpsons like that's what it feels like now yeah. it feels like they're digging up you know the old the old guard so to speak the john schwartzwelders the ian Maxstone grams and they're like all right gun to your head write a joke you know and they just don't have their heart in it anymore so actually is sad to be honest with you watching new simpsons there is actually a podcast that does have a real patreon unlike us where we tease the uh, the patreon but it's called uh those good old-fashioned values and they actually go through each season of family guy per episode and dissect it in a very earnest way so if if you want that it's out there it's really nice that they're doing that on a season-by-season basis and not an episode-by-episode basis, just because I have a podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield, where we go into The Shield in-depth for each episode, and that's like 70 episodes right. of a TV show. That's still a long podcast series. Can't imagine it'd be an easier thing to do with Family Guy. They'd still be making those episodes after the apocalypse, so just really segmenting yourself to a season at a time, I think, is a good way to do that kind of show. Yeah, it would be 15 episodes? <laughs> That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen. 
You gotta, you gotta get out while the, uh, as Jerry Seinfeld said, you just gotta, you gotta get out when there's, like, you know, when the, when, I was just watching something on the Seinfeld finale, which is why this is hot in my mind, but it's, you know, he got out when it was, when it was hot, when the show was at its peak, said, I don't want to do the show anymore. And then anymore, pissed everybody anymore. off with the finale. Which is honestly a boss move, if you ask me. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, but this is not the Family Guy Seinfeld podcast. This is It's On The List with Noah and Mason. I am Mason, the funny talking dog. With me, as always, is Noah Marger, the silly talking British baby. Noah, how are things going for you over in Oregon right now? Well, okay, so it's it's of two brains because uh, the fires, uh, I don't think they're raging as much as they were uh, when we last spoke, but the smoke still hasn't really dissipated. It's gotten maybe right. slightly better. So that sucks. Haven't really literally been outside in almost a week, maybe a week at this point. But it is cool because you called me the silly talking British baby last night on friend of the shows. Well, we've had three of the five of them on the show on everything. Now I was on everything now last night as of this recording Mm -hmm. and I played Stewie Griffin on everything now at the very end of the show. (laughs) Wow. So. Congratulations! How was that? Was that a that must have been really exciting for you? Did those, did those uh, everything nows exist after the Twitch stream is over, or uh, do they just like kind of disappear into the ether? Yeah, so uh, they when the show's done, they upload all of their episodes to their YouTube channel, so you can go gotcha, onto okay. the YouTube channel, which I believe is Everything Now or Everything Now Show. We can link it in the descript. Um, but they, they, they put all the VODs up there. And so last night I got to play Stewie at the very end of the show. And I realized how difficult it was to maintain the Stewie voice. And so I ended up bringing in Marge came into the picture at one point. Uh, (laughs) Peter came in, Lois came in, Hank Hill even made an appearance, uh, real quick. So all of our. All of our animation domination favorites. Exactly. So that was, a, that was a little bit of a dream come true uh, for me last night. But, uh, you know, hoping this smoke thing actually does dissipate at some point. You know, hopefully that the West Coast can, you know, chill out quite literally. Because it's supposed to rain here, you know, pretty quickly, at least as of this recording. So other than that, though, still trucking along, still enduring. How about you, Chef? How are you? I'm all right. It's been a, uh, it was kind of gloomy in the city of Chicago recently, but today was a beautiful day. It was 60 degrees and sunny. Uh, I went for a walk on my lunch break and just really enjoyed that kind of crisp early fall weather. Got my hoodie on, got my little, my little knit cap. It's finally knit cap season. I can't wait. Uh, but yeah, we have gotten some, uh, just kind of smoke in the atmosphere that's been making the skies look weird and hazy oh interesting uh, okay. so that is my sort of like midwest privilege on the fires but it's still scary that i'm getting smoke and collateral damage all the way over here yeah two thousand miles away basically yeah uh guest who we have not named yet <laughs> this is our second east coast guest uh, who have not named yet has there been was there any of the ash or the smoke from the uh, fires make it over to you guys. Now that you mention it, I kind of feel like yes, uh, and that is very strange. But uh, I can't confirm or deny. But it's no good either way, and I we feel for you over here. It's uh, it really is. I gotta say, I don't like the entire West Coast being in flames. I'm just gonna say that's the official position of it's on the list with no end. Listen, these fires yeah. are no good. <laughs> it is fucked up. It literally is. It's literally like. 
you know, not not to dip into this pool, but, you know, we're already on the precipice of it anyway. It's like if you're really out there and you truly think that climate change is not happening, just look at what what is happening on the West Coast right now. It is absolutely well, the president crazy. says it's actually going to start getting colder, so we should really not not worry about it. Oh, OK. Actually, I take all that. Yeah, back so. Then don't worry about it, actually. It's actually fine. <laughs> this is just a weird isolated incident then. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you've heard his voice, folks, uh, since the show started. Uh, we do have a special guest today, guest choice, chef's choice. We got, a uh, filmmaker, we got, a uh, friend of mine, uh, really cool guy. You can see his, um, films on Means TV and in other select places. We will link to his Twitter and where you can find those in the show notes below. But joining us, it's my pleasure to introduce, uh, Chris Bell. Chris Bell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for clapping. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm loving it so far. That will um, change. <laughs> that will change. By the end of the show, you're going to be like, yep, really fucked, really fucked that they asked me to do this. But glad you're enjoying me. it so far. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate of it. Of course. How are, you doing? How are you doing, Chris? How's your, uh, how's your quarantine? How's your COVID situation been? Uh, yeah, you know, there's definitely uh, some terrible things. But to stay positive, I'm kind of thriving. I'm reading. I'm working out. I lost some weight. Nice. Uh, Hell yeah. I feel like I'm more handsome than I was. You know, I'm on the upswing. There we go. Getting more yeah. handsome. Uh, and you were already a handsome fella, so this is really just like whipped cream on top of the sundae. I, I appreciate you know? that. I feel like it was a stumble for me <laughs> for a couple of years, and now it's just like I've been working on it. So that's been a good feeling. Uh, yeah, just reading a lot writing a lot i'm shooting something which is bizarre um so it's mostly been good and productive in a weird way uh i'm not really as sad as i used to be so that's good i th- i saw something you posted on like facebook you were basically like zoom directing a guy yeah, yeah. like how do you manage making a movie during uh these weird these weird times we're living in mm-hmm. you know i was supposed to make something else and then you know around this time actually uh, and then when, you know, February, March rolled around, it's just like, uh, okay. And then a couple of months or like probably a month after that, when we really didn't know like what all of this actually was, when it's just like, you could touch someone and die or something. Right. So it's just like, right. what's the point of making movies? Like it's, you know, even more so than usual. It's just like, this is, <laughs> yeah. um, and then, you know, starting to feel better, a little bit of an upswing and, uh, the actor um, was doing uh, deliveries like the whole time in Manhattan. And I saw he was doing it and he's always down to do more. And I always wanted to do a feature starring him, following him on deliveries. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a DP filmmaker I worked with, I saw was going out like suiting up and just shooting. So I got in touch with him, pitched him the idea and uh my wife is um she has an autoimmune disorder so we were very trying to be very very cautious about oh yeah yeah uh, yeah of course all that um so we made it so it's like okay well we're co-directing and he's gonna also dp and i'll edit and write and uh what we do is when we're shooting uh we have it so that the i go into zoom and I'm, I can see the, uh, I connect to the camera, so I see what the frame is, like I see what the lens sees. Oh wow! And uh, we're just in touch like that. 
Uh, but because I'm not there, there's clearly stuff I'm missing. And uh, he's physically there. He has a lot on his plate. Um, he's also doing, like, directing duties that I couldn't possibly do. He's, like, doing a lot. Uh, right. Much, the co-director. Um, it was basically how it's going. So I'm, like, producing, editing, and writing this remotely. And uh, I think we're going to start doing some stuff, like, that I will be on set for very soon. But uh, yeah, we've shot a bunch of times mm-hmm. with me that's just like zooming in. And that's been very strange. Very, sure. very strange. And I'm not picking anything up. Right. You know, I'm not moving anything. So I was just like, oh, I'm such an asshole. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> right. I yeah. log off and it's just like I go to bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can leave at any time. You get a little frustrated. You're like, oh, Wi Fi is being, yeah. Wi Fi is being freaky. Hold on yeah, one yeah, second. Yeah. Just go on mute and just be like, all right, keep it together, <laughs> man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. This is great. Like you get to have like your you get to work out your like diva phase of your career like in quarantine. Yeah, yeah. We're just like, "All right, last shot's done. I'm in my fucking Maserati getting out of set or yeah. whatever." You're just like, "Close the laptop. I'm going to do some reading. I'm going to lay in my bed." Yeah. Uh that's cool though. I'm glad that you're still being productive and managing to make some like, you know, I I haven't watched <laughs> uh I haven't watched really I don't think any quarantine made content unless it's like something a friend of mine's made that's been kind of interesting just because i feel like unless it's what i'm trying to say is your idea for this movie is very interesting and i'm really curious to see that especially because i think being a delivery driver now especially in this period is such a um there's like a low level of danger to that but it's something that also has to be done because nobody's really going out and i'm just really interested to see that movie and i'm curious of like that kind of quarantine like life Mm -hmm. i'm not as interested in fucking like whatever that hbo show is that was made also on zoom with like fucking bet midler was there an hbo show that was done via zoom yeah i there was like something anytime like i just i remember that i'm like almost done with um i may destroy you i open up my hbo max and i get that ad for like a show i think it's called like coastal elites or some like some hell yeah okay like that yeah and it sounds it looks really (laughs) awful it sounds obnoxious (laughs) It looks really uh, obnoxious, and it's definitely a thing that's like we got all these rich people together, and they can like you know, you know, make the Ellen Show basically, but woke or whatever the fuck. I don't nice. know what it is. I'm not selling the show because I'm not supposed to. I'm just going off of my impression of this. Yeah, but that looks to. awful. I don't care what. Yeah, I don't care what celebrities are doing in quarantine. I'm sure that they're doing just fine for themselves, eating fresh fruits and vegetables. I want to see what's up with us regular folks, us, us people here that uh, have to go on with light, go on uh, living their life, and have to scrounge a living together so uh we'll link to chris's socials in the in the show notes and when that's done you can find out about it there do you have a a timeline on that or how far into shooting have you been working on this um no i mean we pick up and go when we can i really hope that we're going to be done by the end of the year i really i'm trying to get exterior stuff done before it gets really cold and then all the interior stuff doesn't really matter you know um, gotcha. Especially because we're gonna lose light and stuff, and it's just like okay, uh, right. Trying to move a little bit quickly, but I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, this is a really good idea. I'm excited about, and it like we might be hitting it at the right time, and it's just like, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think, like you said, like people are already like taking advantage, doing like loving the time of COVID and stuff like that. And, yeah. Uh, I don't think it's really gonna benefit the film. Uh, they were very quick to you know get stuff out and people are probably shooting that we don't even know about um so we're you know we're gonna finish 
want to take our time and make sure it's you know right. strong. But uh, yeah, looking to be done at least by, I guess December. It's interesting because yeah. even in L.A., I actually he was talking to a buddy um, who's working on the Punky Brewster reboot for Peacock, and he actually called me. <clears throat> what a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> he, he called me while I was watching the movie, actually, that we're going to be discussing today. And he was like, hey, um, they need more PAs on Punky Brewster. Uh, do you want to move back to California for two and a half months to be a PA on that? And I was like. Um, I don't know if I'm quite ready to like fully jump back into like COVID filmmaking on that level quite yet. Cause I don't, Chris, unless you listen to every single episode of the show, maybe you don't know this, but I was living in LA moved back. Cause I'm not autoimmune like your wife is, but I am high risk due to some other health factors and everything. So I was like, I'm just going to stick this. I'm going to ride this out up here in Portland where my family is. Uh, but that call that when I got that call from him the other day, I was like, Oh, things are on the uptick down there as well they're finding a way to do this you know this is you know that's not a small thing punky brewster reboot i mean that's like a big production so maybe we're moving into the phase where people are just like we are gonna do this now you know regardless and so it'll be interesting to see how things uh progress especially through the winter (laughs) yeah major hollywood productions are picking up on their schedules again uh and the only uh (laughs) Which has been uh, awful, as far as I've been reading, because a lot of people have been getting sick. A couple have died, and then also Robert Pattinson himself got the yeah, the Batman. He's not immune to it. The Batman, this he does not have the anti. Well, now he'll have the antibodies, but it's uh, I don't know, folks. I would say that uh, you know uh, everyone's doing their best, but maybe if you're spending millions of dollars to make a Batman movie, you can find millions of dollars elsewhere to put it off and not put. Uh, people at risk to make it but we're not just here to talk about uh life love and filmmaking in the time of COVID-19 we are here as always to discuss two pieces of uh media or works of art that uh some might say is underrated or undervalued or underseen and today's two qualified two um selections brought by Chris I think definitely fall under the <laughs> Under those credentials. Um, I would say that this is – I'm not even going to say probably. I'm just going to go ahead and make the statement. This is the deepest cut pairing that we have had on the show to this point in the recording – in the show's history. So I thought that, you know, Rocky brought on The First American by Pyramid, which was pretty – like, holy shit, I've never heard of this. But when Chris, when Chris told us what we were going to be talking about today, I literally had to, like, do a double take. I'm like, am I reading any of that correctly? Like, what is this shit? I've never heard of this shit before. So uh, if you're, a, you know, if you're a very much a deep cut friend who's listening to this right now, this is the show for you because these are deep as hell. So thank you, Chris, yeah, for bringing so- the unearthing these treasures for us. I could yeah. have gone deeper. All right. So if anyone is like, you know, once they hear what we chose, if anyone's like, you know, preparing some kind of like snarky ass shit, I could have gone deeper. I didn't go deeper. Thank you for that. (laughs) It's part of it. You can't go too deep. No, you can't go too deep or you lose everybody in the world. Not off the bat, you know, Exactly. Exactly. No. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, so as is customary, we start do uh, album and then movie on the show. Uh, So Chris, why don't you preview the album which you brought on to to the show today? Okay. Um, 
The band is called Drive Lake Jehu. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced like that. But let's go with it. <laughs> let's go uh, with it. That's it. That's how, that's how we say it on this show. Jehu. Jehu. Um, yeah. And the album is Yank Crime. So this band came out of, uh, I guess, like post-hardcore scene in, uh, I guess, the biggest band in that little era of post-hardcore emo was like Fugazi and mm-hmm. made a lot of other like highly influential and uh, inspired a lot of other bands and Jehu was one of them and uh, the guys part of that band were also part of an earlier band called Pitchfork no relation to the website uh, I'm sure that's where they probably got the name from sure um, and uh, eventually Jehu broke up and went on to do other things rocket from the crypt was uh i think they're still going kind of scott influenced uh more rock oriented band and hot snakes which is uh a lot more straightforward version of what uh jehu did um but yeah i always took to this album very much so i i knew i really liked this one and i knew it like kind of uh it's I remember it doing a lot of the things of just like sounding different of being experimental and, and doing like weird things, uh, which is basically how I operate uh, just with everything and with everything I like gravitate towards and stuff like that. Sure. Um, so it's just like, this was a big album for me and went back and uh, yeah, I regret nothing. <laughs> yeah, so when did there this, you go. <laughs> when did you first when did this album come into your life then uh is this a semi-recent thing for you or has this been a part of your your life for a little bit here yeah um it's like so funny you were singing blink 182 in the beginning yeah um because i didn't listen to music until junior high and uh the first band i fell in love with well okay it was actually the offspring Okay, um, sure. But uh, then with nice. Blink-182. Yeah, and, the uh, Simpsons and the Family Guy of that. You got <laughs> yeah. the offspring. <laughs> yeah. I'll let yeah. you be the judge of which one's the Simpsons and which one's Family Guy. But oh, yes. they know. They know. <laughs> they, know. Um, they know, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Enemy of the State, and then it's like, uh, just kind of went down like the punk road. And then again, it was just like digging around for stuff. So like getting to older stuff, local bands, like, who influenced Blink-182, like, who was going on, and then eventually, like, just led me down the road of just, like, eventually getting into, like, Minor Threat, Fugazi, stuff like that. So that was, I guess, mid-high school by the time I had found these kinds of bands. Um, So that was when uh, a band like Drive Like Jehu, it's just like, okay, it's like post-hardcore, so they're doing hardcore, but they're, like, pushing it further they're being experimental the songs are fucking longer than a regular song or just like a hardcore song yeah um and uh and i didn't even know this until now but it was just like it was like a major label they like put this out on a major label oh no shit um i don't know like how they got away with doing that but they did um so yeah it was pretty big and i just kind of like that was like one of my kind of favorite sounds of just being like uh having the energy and chaos of uh, harder music, like hardcore, like still punk influenced, but um, being experimental with it, just like making weird sounds, being kind of dissonant and stuff like that. Uh, 
And it's not some like I said, it's not something that I like tend to listen to very often anymore. But like, I still do really like it. I'm just I don't know. So I don't gravitate to it. When you were younger, then and you were like really kind of pushing, I guess, towards that, and you were listening to this a lot. Were you in? for lack of a better term, like the punk scene, like were you going to shows and stuff like that? Like, can you talk a little bit about what that punk scene in your life looked like? Like, what were you, who were you seeing? What was the atmosphere of the shows? Like, talk a little bit about like more more the live aspect of it. Cause that's a huge aspect I know to punk. I'm not as familiar with post hardcore, even hardcore, but like, I know mm-hmm. the live performance element of it is huge. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, it's funny too. Cause I would never be able to do it now. Uh, sure. Like, a couple two years ago at this point i had uh i was having all these issues with like breathing and stuff and then i found out i was having panic attacks okay i didn't know what they oh. were wow um so, so you then and tony I, soprano really do have something in common yeah now. yeah dude i rewatch <laughs> i rewatched sopranos this year and it was just like oh my god i just no, finished we just it. watched it for the first yeah, time i just finished oh. it for the first time about three weeks almost a month ago and holy shit yeah. What a show. <laughs> yeah. Talk about not underrated, though. Talk about properly no. rated. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was Tony. Nice. I grew up in Jersey, too. So, oh, okay. Uh, very Tony. <laughs> okay. So, but, yeah, I'm very aware of anxiety of just, like, feeling like, oh, my God. You know, so, like, sure. to, to do what I used to do to go to shows and, like, stand around in a crowd. Like, you can't run away. You can't leave. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Absolutely. You wait there for three hours. You probably, you don't have a drink or anything. It's just like, yeah, you know, um, but shows growing up was just like, it was very much a social experience. It wasn't like, you know, the bands we went to see locally were mostly like, there were some hardcore ones that I didn't particularly like, but it was mostly like pop punk emo of the time. Sure. Um, mm. And it was just like, Oh, it's just like being a teenage kid running around, falling in love, getting upset. There you go. Ego, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then seeing the bigger bands, I remember it being like, I guess in terms of the deep cut, I always thought of it like uh, I would see bands like Bright Eyes or something before okay. they were like really big. Right. And um, legitimately like loving the music and being able to just like be up front on stage and just like. You could touch them. You know, you could do whatever. And it's just... Yeah, sure. I remember being very self-aware and happy that it's just like, you know, when you like more obscure stuff, there's definitely like a hipster, um, like, you know, people get annoyed with you automatically because they think you're being a hipster, which is just like, you know, whatever. It comes with it. But I also really appreciate the fact that it's like, I truly do love this. Right. And if I love, I truly yeah. loved, uh, and I did truly love Blink-182, but you could never get that close. And like, here I am. It's like, they're right there. And like, you know, I'm in love. I love this. And uh, it felt really good that I could be so close to this thing that I like absolutely enjoyed so much. Sure. And I remember that would be, that was like a really uh, great moment of being at shows. But um, can you talk aside- maybe... Oh, I was always going to say this. Can you talk a little bit about like when you would, are you, were you going then to punk shows and stuff like that? And like, mm-hmm. like throwing your body around, like, and stuff like that. Can you like talk about what that may have been like or for somewhat, maybe so we can live vicariously through you? Yeah. Well, like, you know, I, they weren't like, um, like they were punk shows, but it was mostly like pop punk. Sure. Uh, I right, wasn't, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't really like, 
I've been to maybe 12 like harder shows. Um, and I generally like stayed out of like those pits and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the, the pit I was like scared of, but, uh, <laughs> sure. yeah, but, but then I went in and it's like, oh, it's like fun. Like you're okay. <laughs> and, and they're like, there, there was that like, probably like the youngest, uh, or the earliest form of solidarity I really recognize and notice was that, um, you know, there were obviously assholes at sure. the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, of course. Whether they were jocks or Nazis or is there a difference? I don't know. Right. Um, Who's to say? Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, but I remember, you know, like people falling down and then just like a hand comes up, lifts you back up. Um, such a great feeling. And, uh, that really made me feel like, uh, there was nothing to really fear, like going into the pit. Like, you know, you see people like fight one another, but it was mostly just like, you were fucking around in there and someone would, uh, you, you fall down. It's scary. Right. You can get hurt. And just to see someone like immediately like pull you back up. And I remember like being like around in the pit and it's like, Oh God, I hope I don't get drawn into it. Like most of the time. And mostly just trying to help people. Like if anyone got pushed back, it'd be like, uh, wow. helping them out, make sure they don't fall. Yeah. You're like, like the patron saint of punk shows is what it sounds like. <laughs> Making sure that no one gets too beat up. That's awesome. Yeah. It was nice. Uh, I do miss that, but yeah, I would never be able to do that again. Um, and I don't really, you know, at a certain point, like I was just like, I had no money and I was working late and I didn't feel like taking off to see bands. So I just like ended up like moving out of that anyway. So whenever I would go to shows, I can like most within the last like 10 years or so is like drinking age sure. and uh, you're by the bar and stuff. And that was nice. It's like get drunk, you watch from afar and uh, that's my life. <laughs> yeah. And you say, ah, yeah. yes, I remember when I was the one making sure that nobody <laughs> fell deep into the clutches of the pit. Yeah, yeah. You came to this album, like kind of in that discovery phase of your life when you're listening to music and what was like your first impression when you, when you heard it, like you've been listening to, sounds like you're listening to similar sort of music, but this, like, I want to know what it sounded like when you first put on this album and you heard fucking here come the Rome, uh, Rome plows, uh, start up with those fucking guitars. Uh, that's really all I have to say about that is those, those fucking guitars on this album. Uh, this is sick as hell, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) no i don't know uh i'm trying to like piece together like what came first because i knew this was like an album you had to check out um but i think i don't know do you do you guys know the blood brothers no no (laughs) (laughs) i would love to for you guys to listen to that um we'll we'll bring it on next time (laughs) Um, exactly (laughs) But uh, their album came out and it was starting to get really popular. Uh, I believe it was third album called Burn Piano Island Burn. And um, it's a great that was album one of those. Name. That's an awesome name for an album. <laughs> yeah. It's a really cool album. Uh, it was really hard for me to get into um, because I wasn't super drawn to like, uh, like I liked the music being hard and intricate and stuff like that. But like the screaming is what like took me a long time. Sure um yeah you know because we're not like you grow up probably listening to pop music or whatever and you know i know why they're screaming it's, it's so it's... clean yeah it's like you if you grow up listening to pop or like radio rock or something everything sounds like so clean and polished and mm-hmm. just uh there's an entire other subsect of music that is uh 
their definition is basically being against that and sounding as kind of uh, harsh as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the Blood Brothers right now. I One of the album covers looks very familiar because a Twitter user I used to follow had it as their avatar for Young Machetes. I can't yeah. remember, but... Yeah, that yeah safe great. to say this is yeah this is safe to say this is probably not uh very radio friendly music though but, uh, but anyways keep, i guess it yeah. depends on what radio going. station but yeah, you know, yeah continue chris so yeah i think that was like one of my first forays and it was just like i i think you could point a line from uh yank crime to like stuff like that and like uh future post-hardcore bands and all that so when i first listened to it i think i was like still vaguely familiar and still vaguely like getting into like harder kinds of stuff um and i was like really drawn to the chaos and and all of that and i remember rome plows is like a bit more straightforward it was it was tracks like uh the really long ones that ended up like kind of start stop like slow then blast like luau um and i was actually like yeah revisiting this i was like super nervous because it's like it's really early on it's like eight minutes or 12 minutes i don't know long and yeah. uh i was just like am i gonna be able to like put up with this because i remember it was sort of an issue like maybe i remember driving and uh sometimes you would drive and i, I was listening to cds so it just like you turn on the car it would pick up from where it left off and sometimes like you'd be driving such a short distance that you'd like i always stop in the middle of blue wow and then it would like pick up and it's just like ah, i don't know it doesn't really work sure um but I found myself singing the hook, like, just <laughs> randomly. And it's such a repetitive hook. And, uh, you know, it's all by design, power to them. But it was just, like, I was into it. Um, and I, I do remember, like, being younger and being like, okay, that's the tougher song. Because it's, like, longer, <laughs> right. more repetitive and minimalist. And it's just, like, you know, go on to, like, further songs where they come in a lot harder and they stay a lot harder. Um, I got a quick question for you, Chris, and then I'll, I want to ask Mason uh, about his experience with this album and his experience with post-hardcore and emo and stuff. But you had mentioned, I because I'm sure you have a lot to say, <laughs> Mason, uh, about you know your experience with post-hardcore. Because I know you're always blasting. Oh yeah, I, I was deep in that scene. You know it, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Chris, there, from what I could tell about not only this album but the band they were deeply influential in sort of moving forward the genres or subgenres of emo and sort of just they had their tentacles, I guess, for lack of a better term, in a lot of different projects. Uh, like, you can tell their influence. And so I'm curious for you, where do you see their influence today or who do you see that is a direct influence of Drive Like Jehu's Yank Crime? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to say, again, because I don't really listen to this particular music anymore sure listening to rap um but actually i really do like uh actually i remember um rico nasty i don't know if you know yeah absolutely oh yeah yeah Yeah. super abrasive and i know that that is actually is like a subgenre of rap um maybe like horrorcore or something like that uh is that what it's called i wouldn't say she's that but she is like she's screaming all the time and stuff and i i see like uh you can draw the line um, from mm-hmm. like hardcore branching out, experimenting, doing other things like post-hardcore to like just straight up other genres. Um, that would be my thing. And then obviously like um, 
just the screamo, the mall, mall screamo of the day. Um, I don't even remember, like, who what was those it? Like, bands fucking, were. Like, Bring Me the Horizon. They all had, like, awful names know, like yeah. that. Or, <laughs> was that or, real? Or you just uh, made that up? No, there was really a band called Bring Me the Horizon that some... <laughs> Did they I, ever get some it? kid that I went to high school with uh, <laughs> was really big into them, and I, I hated them just on the virtue of them having the stupidest fucking name that I you could <laughs> p- possibly give a band besides yeah. Snarky Puppy. But Snarky Puppy's not a a screamo band. Uh, they're like a jazz thing with it, just an off, off atrocious name. But that's, that's a discussion for a different podcast. Um, but no, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It's interesting, we also because you, you know you talk about the aggressiveness of this, and one of the most famously aggressive groups of the modern day is Death Grips. And you know you have an opinion mm-hmm. about Death Grips mm-hmm. in one way or the other. You know you can like them, you don't like them, you know whatever. I think you know they're one of those bands. It's like kind of however you feel about them is. Fair. You know, they're very whatever. They're very abrasive. But I also know that uh, they were very influenced, Death Grips was, by a group like Bad Brains. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with yeah. Bad Brains yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is just interesting to see, you know, things that people really like now having these roots in things that maybe people don't even fucking know about. So yeah. it's crazy, you know, to trace influences like that. Well, Death Grips is uh, it's it's Zach Hill, right? Yeah, Zach Hill. And who else? Yeah. I don't know, to be honest with you. Okay. I think it's, it's I don't know. Uh, MC Ride's Ride, the other guy. The guy? Uh, St- no. Yes. No, it's Stefan. I forgot what MC Ride's real name is, but it's Stefan some, something or other. And he's like a conceptual artist, I think. And then there's a yeah, third it's guy. those two. I don't remember. Yeah. Is it just yeah. those two? Zach, no, Zach Hill Zach um, was in that scene as well. Uh, he was like a session drummer for a ton of like weird... Uh, you know, more abrasive, like, hardcore bands, and he was in this band called Hella, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on, but, uh, yeah, he's, like, straight <laughs> up from that scene. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, is, is Death Grips influencing um, people at this point? Oh, absolutely. I think that every single SoundCloud rapper heard, you know, the money store or uh, no love deep web and was like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Like, literally, Mm -hmm. I think that Death Grips is one of the most influential groups, maybe of all time, potentially, but at least of the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, 100 percent. So maybe without. I mean, they're going to be. Yeah, I saw a meme that called them basically like Dad, like in twenty years or whatever, that's going to be dad rock, and it's going to be really interesting, like that, <laughs> which is crazy. really weird for me to think about. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Mason, yeah. I am curious. You know, do you normally jam out to stuff like this? I have to believe no, but like, uh, what's your experience I don't with know. It's this not, shit? Yeah, it it's not the first thing that I gravitate to, and I'm also like not very good at diving into these rabbit holes. Every now and then I'll decide, like, I haven't heard, a, like, like earlier this year I was like, oh, I guess I've never listened to Sunny Day Real Estate, so I'm just going to listen to Sunny Day Real Estate. Sure. Or, uh, like, I, when I was in L.A., I listened to, uh, I was in a bit of a Steve Albini thing, so I listened to a lot of Big Black. I don't really know, like, current bands. I'm not really in the scene. I'm very good at finding, like, old stuff better than I am with discovering new things. Sure. Um, and I still, you know... Uh, all to say that like this album was not on my radar at all. Right. And, um, but at the same time listening to it, I'm like, Oh, this is something that I can definitely like fuck with when I am feeling just like kind of 
<laughs> this album came at a very uh, a, a point in my re- in my recent life, and it's kind of interesting when things come into your life like kind of right when you need them. Sure. And I was feeling very frustrated of just some just some stuff aside from general COVID related things, just stuff kind of tangentially related to that. I was just a very frustrated young man the last week, basically, just having going on a lot of long walks, uh, a lot of long anxious walks, <laughs> and I gotta say, when you are like just just in like your head and just so frustrated and you don't feel like there's a proper outlet, especially now during these times, uh, having an album like Yank Math just to really like get a pit going in your head so that you're like just kind of most aggressive emotions can fight it out with each other. Uh, it was really welcome. So this is actually a pretty cathartic experience and I've been putting it on repeat a lot. Like even when I'm working and dealing with like, customers basically that are that are pissing me off or um <laughs> this is like, the hold music that you're putting them on <laughs> yeah yeah one moment please let me take a look into your account and then it's just sinews uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds like you're getting sounds like you're getting promoted <laughs> is what it sounds yeah like. and then yeah and then all the old ladies that call into my job are just like what is this <laughs> they really love it and then i send them uh free copies of this album over i buy this album on itunes and send them uh download it's really links. nice <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't fucking spend money on itunes for you to do yeah that. yeah uh but noah what's your relationship with this music i we talked about spanish love songs earlier in the year um sure the brave faces everyone that album by spanish love songs so um and i guess it's also like that band is also you know in this sort of could be indebted to this like kind of era of music but like what was your relationship with this album and what was your just like is this stuff that you normally listen to or is like what's your how do you feel about this here yeah, so like I said, when Chris, you know, first told us what he wanted to talk about, uh, I literally like thought I developed, you know, heat dyslexia where I was like looking at it. And I'm like, what the fuck does that say? Like, yank crime by drive like who? Like, I literally was like, what the fuck is this thing? And it was like so startling to even just see it written out. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is gonna be like. And you know, I like to listen to things closer to the show date. So when he actually told us what it was, I was like, man, what the hell is this thing going to be? Am I going to just be hating the hour and nine minutes that I'm going to spend with this album? Like what, what's in store for me? And like you said, like I do like pop punk. I think pop punk is definitely more my speed. So this, this is going to be a common theme from what I'm about to, what I'm going to say throughout this episode. I'm going to file this album under appreciate but didn't enjoy. And I'm going to go into a little bit deeper why. I appreciate what's going on here because like Chris was talking about, every like other track, every third track on this album is like a nine-minute thing that just builds. And it's very interesting to hear these songs build. They usually start at a very small place and it's very cool to hear oh now the bass is going to come in oh now we're going to switch to this more of a tempo we're literally going to do a tempo change in the middle of the track i was very like almost intellectually interested in what was going on with this music more than i was emotionally invested in some of the tracks that were going on that's not to say that i didn't enjoy you know tracks here and there because like i said i think that some of the bands that i do like even blink you know uh, you know, without something like this, maybe we don't get the Blink-182 song that I parodied, you know, at the beginning of the show. So 
that's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, I don't really listen to post-hardcore. I don't really listen to hardcore. Listen to emo a little bit, but it's mostly pop punk, like we were talking about uh, a little bit. And actually, it reminded when I was dri- I was driving around listening to this. I like to listen to the albums in the car if I can, as I like to you know feel the motion of me doing a hard left turn, not crashing while I'm listening uh, to these albums. And it reminded me of two things. This this album reminded me of sitting in study hall next you get placed next to the scary kid everybody knows who the scary kid is in study hall and you're like yeah. oh fuck i'm sitting next to that guy and you know maybe he's got overly long hair maybe he's got a hoodie on who knows maybe he smells like cigarettes and you're 15 who knows but i was imagining sitting next to him or whatever them her whoever you know everyone anybody can be a, sp- a scary kid as far as i'm concerned <laughs> but you're sitting next to this person and they don't talk to you for the entire semester. And then one day, randomly, they're like, hey, do you want to listen to music with me? <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Because uh, you're too afraid to say anything else. And then they give you the left headphone. <laughs> and it's Yank Crime by Drive Like <laughs> Who. And it's probably like New Math or Sinews or uh, Do You Compute is playing. And you're like, man, how much longer is this going to go on? Oh, you know what? This isn't actually that bad. And you legitimately are like, you know, I have to listen to this because I'm scared of the scary kid. But I actually am kind of digging what's going on here a little bit. So not going to say it was a Stockholm Syndrome thing, but like I wouldn't have listened to this otherwise. But I didn't hate it like straight up. Like I didn't hate listening to this album by any stretch of the imagination. I would even say there were times where I really enjoyed listening to this album. And I actually think it was the longer tracks that I enjoyed listening to most because I enjoyed seeing, oh, we're going to start really quiet and then we're going to build and then eventually we're going to reach a climax and then maybe it'll get louder, but we've already reached the climax or maybe it'll get softer. Uh, So that's kind of was my whole experience with this. And then it also was thinking about Guitar Hero when I was listening to this and I'm like, man, some of these songs like Golden Brown would be like a perfect weird deep cut rock band song that everyone can just jam to or a guitar hero song or whatever. So that's kind of in a nutshell my experience with this album. Uh Chris did you saw you putting your hand on your hand on your head there like oh I'm about to rip this motherfucker apart. So what what do you, what's your reaction to what I was saying just then? Or maybe I'm maybe I'm just being silly. We're not friends anymore, man. Okay, good. <laughs> What do you mean, okay, good? (laughs) I was Uh, hoping you would say it. What's my reaction to what you said? Yeah, do you have any thoughts on what I said? Or or are you just like, yeah, okay, that's what he thinks, or what? I mean, yeah, basically that. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, here's the thing. Like, especially, uh, like, if, especially when we start to get to movies and stuff, like, I know I like, uh, stuff that isn't like immediately appealing or sure. whatever you know i'm not trying to be i like to find new stuff i like to find stuff that's like challenging and i do actually um find a lot of value in it totally and uh i appreciate those experiences because you didn't say anything that i even disagreed with it's just like what you said appeals to me a lot more sure um, totally then you know not to say that i don't like putting on blink and uh it's like this is my day you know this is what i'm gonna do but like those are two very different experiences absolutely and i like find myself more drawn to like all right what's the like challenging thing what can i get out of it how is it going to change the way i think and sure 
um, what can I take from it? What can I learn from it? That kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Like generally, how I operate. Um, I would say like the weird kid is probably just going to be listening to like, I don't know, back in the day, uh, 12 Stones or whatever. Oh, Jesus. Those weird new metal bands were. It's crazy. Yeah, very random new metal bands. Like they were probably listening to that. Okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking maybe more of a kid. I don't know when I was in high school, which was five years ago. So, uh, yeah, that's I guess what I was more thinking about. Mason, what's your I guess overall takeaway from this album? Because I do want to get to the movie here pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like what you're saying. I definitely I think prefer the longer tracks on this, especially. Uh, I think Luau is really my big takeaway here. I really like. Uh, I think I put in my notes here, which I actually closed down. Uh, cause I'm a dummy, but oh. Luau, uh, the nine minute, 28, uh, song minute song. Uh, <laughs> so my one note for the song Luau, uh, did listen to this album a lot, but I really just enjoy just kind of like living in the, the thrashing energy here. Wasn't taking a too, too many notes when I was listening to this album for Luau. I just wrote, love the chaos, love it. And I think that's kind of how I feel on the album as a whole. Um, it's not a, uh, like what Noah was saying. The, the, most of the tracks, especially some of the longer ones, uh, build and kind of zig and zag. And I think that's been kind of a recent theme with the album picks um, that we've had on the show, either that Noah's brought on or our guests have brought on. A lot of songs that kind of think, uh, songs or albums that you think are going to start in one place and kind of take different directions, um, in surprising directions. And this was also like what Chris was saying. This was just something that I was... Deep listening to and re-listening to to kind of get to um, understand the music, the music basically, and the musicians. Uh, it was just an interesting album, uh, not because it's like obscure or whatever, but because it kind of exists as this um, kind of perfect, almost I think, representation of a scene. Because these guys just put out two albums, one major label, major label. And then kind of dressed in their own separate ways. There's not a kind of like arc with this yeah, exactly. particular project. There's not an arc with this particular project that you might find. So the fact that this can kind of just exist as its own thing, I think, is also really interesting. And I just like how um, the the lyrics on this album, uh, I did one listen to where I just had the lyrics, the genius lyrics opened up. I like just how um, direct and unpretentious the lyrics are. Yeah. And, uh, how it kind of fits into just the general, like, you know, you're not really listening to, to this to listen to uh, Rick Froberg's lyrics. You're listening to it to listen to uh, the band, basically. That's totally. Uh, I will say, though, yeah, my, uh, so as we, as customary on the show, we give out a Mercedes Valuable Player, the kind of, the secret sauce that makes this album what it is, uh, or the piece of art or whatever what it is and my mercedes valuable player uh for this particular album is the uh last verse in the final uh on the album cut at least the final track sinews uh where he just screams uh trash man trash man my share my share just yelling at this guy that took his girlfriend i think that that's a pretty uh cool and relatable uh emotion and feeling to have just being mad at some guy for taking your girlfriend just really lets it all out at this guy don't know anything about him you kind of have the impression that he's like Rich and can probably be, you know, a good provider and maybe a little more emotionally secure and stable. Don't know. Don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, but the screaming of him saying trash, man, I think is so raw and really encapsulates so much of what I love about this this uh, album that it's my that it's my MVP. And those are all of my thoughts on this. There you uh, go. 
Yeah. Uh, have some, any other I, I was just going to give my Mercedes valuable player, and then, Chris, you want to think of what your – I know you know, but I'm just going to say it for the audience because I know you know what Mercedes valuable player means. Right. Uh, in the 1988 film Married to the Mob by Jonathan Demme, we love Mercedes Ruel's performance as Connie in that. So, of course, instead of most valuable player, we say Mercedes. I know everybody knows that. I know you know it, Chris, but I just wanted to say it for the listeners in case this is the first time someone's listening to this show. So – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, patronize you in any way. I know everybody knows what it already means. But for the <laughs> listeners, I just had to explain it. Uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player in this is the two, on Spotify at least, if, you're, if that's how you're listening to it, this album. There is the album cut, so to speak, of Sinews. And then there is the original version of Sinews. And it is interesting to play those back to back to see how they differ but also to see how they're very similar to show you that, oh, these guys, it kind of maybe gives you some insight into how they work. It kind of maybe gives you some insight into how they construct a song. So uh, I would definitely listen to this for the longer tracks. I mean, the shorter tracks are still you know fun and stuff as well. But the, real, the longer tracks is where I think you really get the secret sauce, so to speak, of this band. So that's my Mercedes Valuable Player. Chris, who is your or what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for this album? And then would you recommend this album? Uh, my Mercedes valuable player. Um, yeah, I, I was, I didn't know I had to do this. Um, so yeah. No, my, it's our uh, secret surprise. We love to spring it on, on yeah. our first time guests. <laughs> I didn't think it's about also it. kind of a new bit. So <laughs> it's really funny. I didn't even know Demi did Married to the Mob. Um, yeah. So glad. Covered that a couple episodes ago. Uh, pull up in the archives. No, not sure on the exact number, but anyways. I think it's 35. Uh, <laughs> I think it's number 35. <laughs> but yeah, who is your Mercedes or what is your Mercedes valuable player? Yeah, like the boring answer would be the guitars. The guitars like do like a ton of different things. Some, you know, we talk about like the energy, the chaos, and sometimes they literally sound like alarms and shit. Right. Um, yeah. And then I could easily say Froberg. And I was looking at lyrics and it's like there are ones that are like, Feel like this is you know cut and dry relationship shit but yep. then you uh rome plows uh luau kind of feels like anti-colonialism anti-imperialism uh mm-hmm. like very minimalist lyrics but like there's some key words in there where it's just like oh that's actually really cool um it's against people colonizing hawaii uh it's like we're gonna take over your country now and destroy everything get ready here come the rome plows um i could say that but uh but you're I not gonna give, no i want to <laughs> want to give a shout out to my boy rob crow uh most famous i think right now for pinback uh the band pinback but he guessed vocals on luau okay the mm. uh the little harmony luau is what he does and uh rob crow love me some rob crow was gonna do an album for of his for this but uh you know, I decided not to. Sure. Um, but he, uh, he's he got his hands in a lot of things. He actually did an album with Zach Hill called, uh, I think it's the band and album are both called Other Ladies. Okay. Um, very good. Uh, very, uh, his main thing is to do very nice, short, uh, I guess mostly like emo, weird time signatures, uh, melodic stuff. Okay. And one of the mm. latest things he's done was start a grindcore band, which is like 22nd, as, play as fast and hard as you can, uh, to put it lightly, music. Um, 
that's anti-Trump, but in like an interesting way, you know, sure. not in like a yeah, not an yeah. SNL way. Yeah, not a corn ass, <laughs> cornball ass way. Yeah, um, it does like really, really abrasive music. Okay. Um, for that little project, uh, but he's very prolific and he does all sorts of different shit. He did a drone band called Goblin Cock, and there's like a oh naked, uh, naked Hell goblin yeah. on the first album. That's pretty cool. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out Rob Crow. Shout out. Very good pick for Mercedes Crow, Variable definitely. Player. Then do you for the for the for the listeners for the chefs out there. Do you recommend Yank Crime by Drive Like Jehu? Can be a simple yes, can be a simple no. Do you recommend the album? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> Does anyone say no? One time oh. someone did. <laughs> one time Yeah, one time. That was a, a pretty wild episode for a lot of reasons, but somebody did bring on the album and was like, I don't know how I feel about this. And then there was that, kind of the same thing with the movie, too. It was really an interesting episode. It was insane. But, uh, yeah, I would no, say the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was, uh, I didn't know if you had, if you two had listened to, uh, punk or hardcore or anything like that. So I was like curious how you would take it. Um, so I say it with that caveat. It's like, you know, if you're not into screaming and stuff, be careful, but, uh, give it one spin. Why not? I listen, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you. I'm going to give what we call on this show a conditional recommend. Whereas if you're into this kind of stuff, this is going to probably be right up your alley, and you probably will love it, to be honest with you, because there is a lot to appreciate and a lot to love about this album. And if it's not your thing, I would actually say give it a spin as well, because you might surprise yourself. So that's my little take on it. Mason, where do you stand? I'm going to conditional recommend this as well for many of the same reasons that you guys both did. Uh, you will know this is your thing if it sounds like it's your thing. Um, but I also think that if you're curious about it at all, it's worth a listen just to check it out, just to try. Um, but yeah, conditional recommendo for me. Uh, so with that, I think we can now segue into the main course here, which is, uh, yeah, the turkey, really, the stuffing, the, turkey, the cranberry the big, sauce, the big turkey. Uh, uh, the big turkey. This is, uh, we got Peter. <laughs> yep. Sorry, uh, who's, who's gonna talk about the movie? Who's I'm, gonna I'm, introduce I'm, the movie? I'm this time? literally. <laughs> you are okay. You are <laughs> freak. You freak. Uh, right. Peter Watkins, The Gladiators, 1969. Claps, 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 <clears throat> yeah, I was uh had a couple other things in my head, but I decided to fuck with Watkins. Yeah. Um, yeah, Watkins is an interesting guy. Uh he checks a lot of my boxes for an interesting filmmaker. Um he's actually I mean he's he's very upfront with what he does. No kidding. No bullshit. Yeah. No bullshit. Uh yeah. and he's on the left. He's like like proper left. Um, which was like it's it's a great to get that opportunity to talk about um and i chose this movie i haven't seen all of his movies but uh this is the one that i've liked and it's an appropriate runtime sure uh yeah. i think one of his most famous movies is uh la commune right um mm. about the paris commune and that is about eight hours <laughs> uh, thank you for not picking that yeah, <laughs> i'll yeah. just be the yeah. first to say that uh, it's a really great movie, but yeah, it's like I couldn't 
I recommend it, but I would not be like, we're talking about it, so watch it. <laughs> right, um, exactly. <laughs> at least yet. Um, so I chose this one, uh, which I still think is like pretty uh, cool and impressive all the same. Um, called The Gladiator. It's also called The Peace Game, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's about a uh, future, alternate future, which never happened considering the countries involved. Um about the uh, countries of the world coming together and deciding we're not going to do war anymore. Uh, we're going to do like a little televised event where we take a couple soldiers, the allied and the communists. We're going to go head to head and basically do uh, like a little, what do you call it? Like a little race to the control like a, room. Yeah, um, kind of like a battle royale kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, some I mean, yeah. Uh, race is also good. The, e- the easiest mm-hmm. comparison you can make to this is Hunger Games. Like, that yeah, is the most my straightforward yeah. can- comparison yeah, yeah. you can make to something like this because it essentially is the same idea, you know, just mm-hmm. done and exploring much more directly the themes that maybe Hunger Games is trying to explore as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think that given its context, um, came out in the late '60s. Uh, they are naming like specific countries by name. It's much more pol- like I've never seen the Hunger Games. Really, you've never seen the Hunger that. Games? No, never seen them. Never read them. That was one of the things where it's like the first Hunger Games book was like a summer reading material, like a, a cho- like for for high school because it had, sure. like just come out, and almost everybody uh, that went to my uh, high school read the Hunger Games because it was like the hot thing. It was like kind of a, the biggest thing post Harry Potter. But I elected to read the uh, this book called Shattering Glass, which is this like kind of high school set like psychological thriller about these like group of boys that like make up a um, like turn like the 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 uh, the nerdy like unpopular guy into this like kind of um object this popular object and how it just like kind of it's about the destructive nature of of um of male friendship basically and you you really saw yourself as the guy who turns the popular kid into a thing he's like i'm evil i'm gonna do this this is my favorite thing in the whole world that was you saw yourself yeah yeah Yeah, i saw myself as that guy not the like uh the sensitive kid that gets in over his head because he uh creates a a pact with the devil basically Um, yeah that's more that's not your speed at all (laughs) yeah Yeah. no i mean that's that's not what i do on this podcast every single week which is make a pact with the devil (laughs) well it kind of feels like that sometimes i have to imagine in podcasting with me but uh we it's really not why it's really not what we're here to uh, but talk no, about but like i i but safe to say i never the hunger games kind of uh came and went i've been curious to watch them especially now a couple years removed from their like um when they exploded in the culture basically um just to kind of like watch it with fresh eyes um but uh yeah uh, this is a very Hunger Games e pre 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 Hunger Games pre even Battle Royale because I think Battle Royale totally. was like the early two thousands, mm-hmm. um, like kind of. Uh, would you guys describe this as kind of a dark satire? Because there were parts of this where I thought were like, kind of funny, but in a very scary way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I just don't know where to begin with this one honestly. So whoever wants to take. The- and lead this well, I was going to ask you, Chris, what's what is your relationship uh, with this Watkins specifically? Like, when did this come into your life? Do you revisit it every so often? Like, talk um, about your relationship to the Gladiators. I first saw this, I think, two, three years ago. Okay. 
Um, it's a hard movie to necessarily track down. Was this a allegedly, I'm going to sprinkle allegedly on this, did you allegedly download this film the first time you saw it, or did you actually oh, see sure. it in a presented medium? Sure, yeah, I downloaded it. Okay, um, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, for the, for the FBI agent that's assigned to this podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's my relationship with it? Uh, no, I, re- I, I don't really... You know, uh, digging around and stuff, like, I don't often revisit sure. uh, movies, especially ones I love, unless I'm, like, I specifically know I have an idea, and I'm just like, oh, I see I should revisit um, right. this particular film, steal from it, or whatever, just see sure. how they did things. Um, but I will say, like, uh, being more upfront about... Um, political shit uh human shit and coming from the left um and doing it in for in an artful way i think there's a lot to study with uh watkins um so it, it, it'll probably happen but uh it was my pleasure to revisit the film for you guys uh, nice. or force <laughs> myself to revisit and then force you guys to watch it yeah uh, interesting how that works out when yeah. you yeah. pick this for the pod um, um but i do remember uh or like I didn't realize that there were comedic elements in it, um, and I know right off the bat, like we start by uh, sh- they they kind of lay out the premise a little bit. You see the uh, soldiers, and you go around. They each say something. It's like a little interview to the camera, and uh, you get the feeling like oh, they're just straight up sending the youth to die for like yeah. absolutely nothing. Hint hint. Right. Uh, and then it like immediately cuts to the generals who are all old and like very clearly old standing in a line. And it's just like, oh, it's a comedic, a comedic cut, which is dark because right. of what it implies. Yeah. But it's just like there's humor in that where it's just like these fucking guys, you know? Uh, yeah, I uh, I think when I first realized this was a comedy was somewhere in the beginning. It was like before the game started in earnest and some guy comes in and he's like, we got to get this going or the sponsors will kill us. Like, it's so funny that, like, the stakes in this are literally life and death on the field, and then it's just, like, regular back room, like, kind of uh, just just regular television shit, and it's, like, that kind of um, exaggeration or hyperbole that comes, uh, thinking, and they're on completely different levels. So it's, it's funny, like, kind of like that. Like, there's humorous cuts, like you were saying, uh, but the subject matter is fairly serious, and they're you do feel like actual lives are on the line in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Brechtian thing of just like uh, distancing, um, which is like the director comes in and says like, by the way, these people are going to die soon. And right. she's yeah. like, all right. Uh, <laughs> and then it's the same way that the humor is used. Like, oh, cutting, cutting, you know, it's the classic like uh, montage, you know, juxtaposition juxtaposition right but even like towards the end when it's like a race to uh get to the end and like the uh they send out the police or special forces uh to get the anarchist i guess um yeah and they literally cannot proceed because there's a red light (laughs) yeah you know there's humor in that of just like uh you know part of the whole thing of just like war itself like it literally is just like uh at least most of the time uh, very removed from like everyday people's lives it has nothing to do with them it's just like well we decide that we're going to broaden our uh our territory and then you're gonna 
help us do that and you have no choice so it's right. just like war itself is ridiculous so like let me put these very ridiculous things in like oh but these guys have to wait for the stop sign like they have to wait and then they can go and kill the guy exactly uh, yeah like there's still a of, like you know just showing you again in different ways that it's just like no it's absurd yeah it's fucking ridiculous yeah. all the shit yeah. that they you know ultimately that they want to be able to do but it's like oh we gotta wait Oh, we can't kill him exactly yet. We got to run him through all this, you know, these hoops and these jumps, and we got to do that. But then we're going to kill him. Like, we're going to yeah, kill yeah. him. Like, these guys are going to die. Yeah. Uh, Mason, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to trample you. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I think it's funny. It, it's it's funny that they're still, like, adhering to some set of uh, uh, rule or order or something in the middle of this, like, kind of free-for-all, basically. Yeah. Um, in a way, it's battle. like a comedy of manners in that sense, you know, in a way. Yeah. I was curious, uh, Chris, I'm curious on your opinion on this, because for lack of a better term, this starts out as a mockumentary, like in like for lack of a better term, like they position this as like, you know, they're doing direct address to the camera. You know, this is a they, they frame it as like a document of that. And so I'm curious, why do you think Watkins decided to frame it that way as opposed to just playing out the narrative quote-unquote normally yeah i mean i I think it was just more i mean i i want to answer just like he just always does that (laughs) (laughs) right and like have that be the answer but i think it more is just like uh just putting like extra extra layers of distance of just being like um being able to go in and being able to like constantly like remind you like these people will die or like we're gonna cut and show this person like there's a presence there and they're not helping. Cause even like right away you meet the student activist who's right. like, I'm going to blow up the entire thing. And immediately you're just like, they know about him. Uh, that's little documentary person knows about him. Right. Uh, so what's going on? Like, he's not going to succeed. Like that doesn't make any sense. So, uh, you already are suspicious. So like it, it kind of undercuts a lot of things for, to put forward the uh, general idea, um, which is interesting because a lot of times that happens, it ends up being really cold. But one of the main things, which I do believe he supports is the uh, coming together of um, these different people and working together or just like creating some sort of a bond uh, it does get like somewhat sentimental in the movie. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And that's interesting because a lot of those movies that are like cold clinical distancing or whatever, they kind of eschew all that, but uh, he still includes it in this one and has it be an element. And obviously it's not like a romance, you know, there's not any of that, but it ends up being more of a, I don't know, I guess he has it both ways. It becomes like an element that's part of the thesis he's going to use but he doesn't give in to like don't worry it's going to be all okay like that kind of thing you're not like super assured right it's like some sort of an answer i guess that makes sense no i think that that's a very interesting read on it that distancing element that you were talking about because i almost read it as like in order to give more authority you know to like this insane event that is happening before us, it almost, I feel like, has to be done 
in that sense. Obviously, we've seen Hunger Games, you know, which is the most popular, you know, type thing, Battle Royale, do this type of story, tell this type of tale. But the way that he is going about it, Watkins is going about it, I think he almost was like, well, of course I have to do this as a pseudo documentary because it'll give authority to this insane, inane, basically obstacle course that I'm having these people jump through as like, oh, no, this is how we do it. Like, this is exactly how it needs to be done and exactly how it should be done. We need to pit, you know, the poor, the young, the disenfranchised against each other so that we can pull the strings. Of course, it would have to work that way. So Mm -hmm. great. I think it's that. I mean, I'll just say it as a little premature, but that's my Mercedes valuable player in this whole thing is the framing device of a documentary in this Mm -hmm. whole thing. So I think it's, perfect i love a good i love a good documentary just straight up i don't actually think we've ever covered a documentary on this show have we mason before uh not yet no, no uh i know yet. you're really itching to Still time. to bring one on but it, i think it's about time i mean we're coming up on one year here soon so we're gonna have to shake things up a little bit but <laughs> uh let's go but come yeah. on let's go baby <laughs> well i'm just always gonna say is that i love a good documentary and like what I love even more is when the documentary format is used in a way that you wouldn't expect. I mean, it's cliche. It's, you know, everyone knows about it, but the office works the way it does is because you really feel like you are watching just these folks in an office. Like that's the whole framing device of it all. And so it's no different in yeah. 1969's Peter Watkins, the gladiators. You really feel like you're watching these people fight you know and ultimately yes they do band together to try and figure it out there is that camaraderie you know going on but you really feel as though this is really happening this is really how they're doing it which you know every movie i think attempts to achieve but i think is done to put over the edge because of the framing device of a documentary so is that and that's how he does most of if not all of the other movies that like that's his thing a lot of them yeah there's like uh I like it, and it definitely happens a lot more probably since this kind of like faux doc trapping or right. whatever. Um, but it doesn't really happen uh, a lot in art house cinema right. dramas or something because it, it essentially, I think it's underutilized because it essentially ends up being like, I mean, in some instances, it could cover your ass where it's just like, we don't have the money. Like, we right. gotta have this, like, uh, yeah little excuse but it doesn't have to be just an excuse or a way for you to do the thing it, it does open up at least one more layer of what you're doing of like totally. why is a camera there you know why is this being a documentary and in terms of this it's just like is this the case of just like yeah and we are here to film all this stuff we're here yeah, to film the war and everything yeah and that's it we're not going to do it's... anything else and it's interesting that this it. movie, yeah. And it's interesting that this movie, even though it's a British Swedish co-production, um, because Peter Watkins had left Britain, I believe, and then got some Swedish money to make this movie. And I think it was a Swedish co-writer. Uh, I forget yeah, I his think name. you're right on that. Uh, but in any case, this is a movie that's coming out in 1969, which is not the apex of the Vietnam War, but definitely like in one of the heaviest parts of that conflict to my memory, or at least to my understanding of that time in, the, in, in sort of history. And the big thing about the Vietnam War, as far as I 
know about it is it was like the first televised war like the fact that you would turn on like abc right. news or something and see um you know uh you would see bodies uh, you would see bodies. You would see monks lighting themselves on fire. You would see children running through the streets um, in their village. You would see uh, napalm being dropped on places. It was a horrifying thing. And it is almost passe, I think, at this point to make... Um, it's very easy to make a dumb movie about people's consumption habits with regards to violence. And this is a movie right. that I think comes early enough where it's almost prescient in how much um you know how much it it depicts people's because the other thing with this distancing i think this is the point i'm trying to get at the other thing with this distancing effect is it simultaneously places an audience member somebody watching this makes them aware of them watching this event and then also makes them a participant in the action somewhat even though they're not actively taking part in it like the fact that there is an audience to this um peace game and this is like the 250th or something peace game i think uh in the movie um this is a televised event there's people that are watching this and instead of doing like i think this is a smart event for this a smart uh thing in this particular movie but they're not doing a truman show thing where they're showing you people watching the thing right um they're just letting you the audience member be kind of a party to this. And what that does, I think is, and, and particularly in this movie coming out at this time with its kind of um, political concerns um, is it really makes you question like your role in the system almost without being too like the system as they call it in the movie. Um, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't hit you over the head with it, but it does, I think, in a not um, obvious way, make you realize that there is just a, uh, you know, now we call it the algorithm, uh, basically, but just the fact that there is something out there that is uh, maybe more in control of your life than you think, uh, and you may be comfortable with. It feels like a very prescient um, topic and feels like it's a smart uh, thing in this movie that was really... Uh, made me very frightened, made me very scared, <laughs> quite frankly. Well, yeah, you spend all your day on TikTok, so I can understand why you would think an algorithm is controlling your life. Yeah, uh, Xi Jinping is in my DMs, uh, personally. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm honestly happy for you. <laughs> I, I, I'm not pissed. I'm actually happy for you. So, you know, very cool. <laughs> I'm actually very happy. Um, yeah, man, this is uh, it's scary. It actually is kind of, like, it is scary to watch uh, the events of this unfold because if you watch enough movies or just like narrative driven stuff, you can almost see where they're going with it, but that doesn't necessarily make the impact of it. Like we talked about last week with blue Jay, you know, it doesn't make the emotional impact of it any less intense. You know, that final scene where the French student is sitting in the control room and he's like, but I've won the game. And the control, you know, the control room operator's like, buddy, it does not matter. You did not win the game. Like, they wanted this all to happen for you. It's heartbreaking, you know, to watch him in this pursuit of what he thinks is good, that he's going to destroy the system from the inside out, and that's why he's going to, you know, sneak in and participate. To watch him realize that, and that's basically the last thing you see in the movie, and then the movie's over, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, 
it's heartbreaking. You know, it is heartbreaking on a purely narrative level, but because of that extra layer of distancing that we keep talking about, I think it's especially heartbreaking because you kind of see it coming almost like with watching these generals in this war room, basically play God, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the, like, it's a pretty kind of obvious narrative turn. Yeah. You don't want it to happen. That kind of thing. Uh, but I appreciate it because, whoa, got real Jersey on that one. Uh, because, um, no, just thinking the whole, uh, thinking of, uh, people coming together, uh, common bonds, you know, they're a class and obviously the generals are like a totally different class that are, you know, they're the ruling class. Right. And then thinking of, um, how systems do allow some dissent and that's part of it. And that doesn't mean they have to like take from you and like like in that studio the guy was basically like yeah i was like you and you could be me and then you could like operate like this current system and then you'll Um, go up a level in class because you won't be that you know mm -hmm. scroungy youth you will you will rise up you will rank up basically level yeah because the system doesn't need just you know or the system or whatever doesn't need just uh you know generals in an upper class it needs like functionaries people that literally just push the buttons basically and get it going Mm -hmm. yeah and uh this at least type of dissent is factored in and and reading more and learning more and thinking more about all this i really appreciated that that was part of the narrative and it even comes up a lot more where it's just like there are things happening that the generals are like not really too worried about and it's just ends up being like part of the game for them like they know something mm-hmm. like these people are going to do this or that and like that's not a big deal to them and uh one of the interesting things too that I don't remember from the first part was like that weird like hippie commune brothel like thing. Oh yeah, right. that was and very I, strange. That was really weird. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I don't remember this. I don't know if I like it. And then the French student gets there, and then I flipped because I was like, No, I really like this. Because um, <laughs> I don't know if it, if this is true, but I was getting the feeling that um it was like part of uh kind of like the bigger plan almost yeah like like sedating uh you know it's probably a little stab at uh you know this came out in the 60s so it's like a little stab at like uh the activism that was happening you know the hippie stuff in the 60s where oh, gotcha. uh, certain people were super into it and other people just wanted the the drugs and you know and how much of that was like a psyop and stuff like that sure and uh as the french student goes in there you you kind of get the feeling and i think they drop a lot of hints that like all of these people were him as well oh Um, interesting i don't know if if they're trying to trick him or some of them are and some of them aren't but it's just like yeah like especially that yeah that guy that like interviews him and they have that really intense yeah that scene is crazy because you have a sense of just like this this guy is almost trying to give him the warning sign before mm-hmm. he gets to the control move. Like it's not too late, you know. You can you can be happy, basically. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, one thing I do appreciate though is just kind of, you know, we talk about this the student and he has these like kind of revolutionary ideals, basically. But one thing I like about this movie that I think is very smart is that. Um, He's by himself, and it's implied that he just kind of swallowed up by the system because he doesn't have like a uh, 
you know, any kind of sense of solidarity, basically. He thinks that, like, you know, one gets the impression that this may be, like, kind of an ego quest for him. Sure. Whereas um, the two soldiers that um, team up together, they do it out of a basically just sense of um, decency and kind of common respect for humanity and the kind of just a recognition that somebody is in a similar position to them, like that British soldier who really helps out that uh, the Chinese soldier there. And that is what... Um, you know, they get pretty far, but they do get dissented, uh, they do get, um, uh, uh, attacked and, uh, further dissent, basically, because they pose a legitimate threat to the system. And uh, watching, like, um, I love that the movie kind of, I don't know if this is, like, a budget thing or what, but I love that the movie kind of breaks, um, when the kind of motorcycle soldiers, um, find the two dissenters, and it turns into like a bunch of black and white still photographies that are shots that are like kind of pieced together. And, um, you know, growing up in Chicago or in the suburbs of Chicago, you're learning about, you know, the history of the place and the 68 riots and the 68 convention is a big thing that you learn like when sure. I was a kid. And so definitely seeing pictures of like Chicago police speeding um, protesters up is a thing that really stuck heavy in my mind. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, fuck, like, and especially now, like, um, you know, Chicago police, there's a, uh, an action a couple weeks ago and Chicago, uh, Chicago police, uh, stole people's bikes and sprayed tear gas. And, uh, there was somebody that went to my college that is friends with a lot of my friends. And he was, uh, arrested for allegedly, uh, beating a Chicago police officer with a skateboard. It is wow. not clear if it's actually him in the video, but he got arrested and is on house arrest for doing it anyways. Uh, it's fucked up. And it's just watching this movie now, it feels um, we're at a similar point in in history, I feel. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just because it's this, it's it did fill me with a little bit of dread because I'm like, oh, shit, does this movie just mean that things are going to continue on in perpetuity? Or is there hope? Like, I don't I don't know. Like, um it, it, it gave me a lot to think about and to consider, and it kept me up at night. And uh, I was talking a lot because Chris was the... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was you were vamping to, it looks for like Chris. A, a comfier part, uh, a better, more conducive place for podcasting. I got a quick um, question for you, Mason, based on the, uh, yeah. based on the, uh, nine, or the 68 uh, stuff that happened. Did you ever watch Chicago 10, the documentary in school? Or have either of you no, seen but Chicago I did watch 10? No, cool. Chicago no, t- medium medium cool is fucking awesome. I saw medium that great. Yeah, at yeah. the uh, I saw that at the New Bev with friend of this oh. pod and former guest repeat guest Dustin Titcomb. So shout out to uh, Dustin What's Titcomb up? on that one. Uh, that movie's fucking awesome. But Chicago Ten is a documentary that I actually watched in high school about what took place with the ten you know people at the riots at the DNC. You talk about Abby Hoffman, you know, obviously yeah. is like the leader, so to speak. And then the other person who really stuck out to me was Bobby Seale, who was a Black Panther in that. And basically he was, you know, the conduit for which they talked about racial injustice uh, within there. So I think I've actually mentioned Chicago 10 on the show before, but just very briefly. So that's a great documentary as well. There's some animation in that one as well. So that's very cool. But to your point, Mason, you know, I don't know really how to comment on it other than like I think Watkins is pointing out that this happens this is what can occur when you have a system like he keeps saying in place like this obviously we've seen throughout history that change is possible but I think he's pointing out this is how they 
almost keep you down in a way. Like this is like a very I don't excuse me almost like sci fi e to way to say it. it's not hard sci fi by any stretch of the imagination. But like you know the idea of like they put this game together where they take youth disenfranchised youth and make them you know fight to the death in order to see which country is going to have you know clout basically they're clout chasers basically is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I think Watkins is pointing out this is the fucking deal you know this is what happens and we've seen throughout history like i said that things can change and that there is hope so i think that the idea that there isn't hope uh is a false one but i think he's really pointing out you know you can be gung-ho you can be much wanting to make change you just have to be aware that this is the kind of thing that they put in place that was at least my takeaway from it does anyone have any response to that um i since you to brought that up it uh i really did appreciate rewatching it this time um because i've been thinking a lot especially with uh recent protests and right. uh recent conversations about the police and stuff like that um how much emphasis is put on not only it being a game but the system the system does this system exactly does that. yeah um and uh you talk to a lot of people about the police and um you know that's like at the forefront right now um so you end up butting heads if you're like if you're trying to be trying to have an actual conversation you butt heads with a lot of people who know a lot of nice police who know a lot of nice this and that yeah my uncle's whatever you know my uncle's a cop or whatever that kind of conversation Yeah, yeah yeah um and uh which is like kind of inevitable like you probably know you know unless you're I don't know if if you're you probably know a cop, you know, or some sort of a cop. Like, uh, and the way to get around that, which like really clicked with me, um, is in your conversations, just pointing like it doesn't matter. You like your friend, you like your family member, they're a good person. It doesn't matter because it's a system. Totally, it operates in this way. So it doesn't matter if like one of them or a couple of them or whatever, however many are good good people they're nice they're funny it doesn't matter because like what we're talking about uh you know on a whole is that uh it's it's the system and how it operates and how it's supposed to operate and instead of all of this um focus on the individual it's on uh the bigger thing which is the system because like yeah you like you take one out uh it's not really going to change anything right so there are systemic critiques and that's what that means. And I really appreciated, uh, the movie, um, kind of drilling that in a lot more. It wasn't really something I took away, but because of like everything going totally. on, because this year, it's just like, uh, it, it forces I more you to aware of that. Yeah. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah. It's, it's almost impossible not to look at this movie and think about these things because of what we're, faced with right now the current conversation so you're i totally agree with you chris i think you're spot on on that mason anything i don't know i think that this is a uh really smart movie that i really uh appreciate chris bringing on just because i think it's not just under seen and underrated and undervalued but it is um relevant as we're coming to the end like we're in the last part of 2020 basically the last three months here gonna go right into 2020 so crazy yeah i don't think anything that literally has just 
flashed. Yeah, and I don't think that anything that's being addressed now is going to necessarily go away, you know? I think that this is just only no. going to be more relevant, basically. And, you know, systems move and change and get replaced by other stuff. Um, so I don't think that... I don't see this... It, you know, if this becomes a... The best-case scenario for this is, like, it's like a curio of a, of a former world, basically. And this is sort of a curio of a former world, because there's no, like, major communist, quote-unquote, powers anymore, basically. Um... But ultimately, you know, there's the folks at the top that are calling the shot and sitting back and getting fat and drinking their hot teas and kind of laughing while the rest of us kill each other. And then, um, you know, uh, doing what they can with people who want to rise up uh, and uh, try to change things. So I don't know. This is a it's it's a it's a somewhat of a bleak movie. It's a um cure it's a uh a thought-provoking one it's very also anxiety inducing but i don't know it was still something that i really enjoyed watching uh i wouldn't have any uh, i would love to see this i would love to see a double but maybe even at the new bev i feel like the new bev would be a great place to showcase this movie but i would love to see a double bill with you do dr strange love first and then you do the gladiators i think that would be a very interesting double feature uh i had dr strange love vibes going throughout not that just they're both politically uh minded critique pieces of the 1960s but i just feel like for whatever reason they go interestingly together maybe you start with the gladiators because it's you know not as funny so to speak i don't know you i'm not going to be the one that decides which comes first but i do think that this along with dr strange love would be a very interesting double billing um like I said earlier, my Mercedes valuable player for this is the decision to frame this as a documentary. I think it adds, like Chris was saying, the distancing element and a certain authority that this is the way this happens uh, and you just buy it more so because it is done in the documentary style. So that is my Mercedes valuable player for this. I was going to give this a conditional wreck, but as it is sat with me, over the days uh, since I've watched it and the discussion that we're having here today. It's one of those, I think there's certain movies where you really do soak it in more upon reflection. And I think this is one of those movies where upon reflection and after the fact, I have enjoyed it and I have come to understand it and think about it more so than when I was when I was initially watching it. Not to say that I didn't enjoy watching it because I did, but I think I have soaked up more of the juices in the days following watching it so i'm actually just going to give this a recommend uh straight up so yep you got i got you buddy i got you on that one so this is a this is a record a very you know a solid recommend not like a holy fuck full blown but this is a solid recommend i think this is worth your time if you can allegedly download it somewhere off the internet then i would allegedly say do that because it is worth an hour and a half of your time uh mason what's your mercedes valuable player and do you recommend this movie uh, I think my Mercedes valuable player is just uh, the act of solidarity, being there for other people. Uh, it's scary. There's a lot of folks that will try to uh, break you apart, beat you down for wanting to stand up and try to escape the game, escape the system, maybe build a better world, build a better system. But it uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And I think this is a movie that for its, uh, its, its, its dark, darkness and its satire, it's the darkness of its satire, basically, I think does inspire a sense of um, solidarity and wanting to be, uh, to, to, to take sort of serious action. Uh, so that's, that'll be my Mercedes Valuable Player. I, would, I have a second one to give. It would be for the cinematographer uh, whose name I wrote down, and it is uh, Peter 
Suchinsky, I believe. I don't know. I think this is a, it's a gray movie shot in Sweden. Uh, very gray, but I also think looks kind of beautiful and is uh, at least interesting to look at. Uh, I would also give this a very solid recommendation. Uh, if you can acquire it legally or if you could acquire it through other means, definitely worth your hour and a half. Um, and like with Noah, it's, uh, it's a grower and a shower, I think. Uh, it sits with you well. And it's a pretty um, entertaining watch at the very least. Like at the end of the day, this is an entertaining movie and one that was I was not like dreading watching and having a bad time watching. Uh, so definitely seek this out however you can. Chris, what's your Mercedes Valuable Player and how do you feel about this here motion picture? Mercedes Valuable Player. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'm glad you said the cinematography. Um, was that alone? I remember and. You know, I had seen this before. It's been a while, and a couple of his other movies have blown me away. So, uh, but I have to say, it opens up in like the first couple of seconds, like oh, King, like you get that <laughs> feeling where it's just like I'm in the right hands right now. Totally. Yes. Um, that felt really good, and I feel that I'm very curmudgeonly, so I, I I feel that very rarely, um, especially watching a lot of like TV and stuff. So it's just like oh, I cherish that feeling, but. I would have to say probably I'm still astonished that like something like this was made. It's like so weird. It seems like it costs so much money and stuff. And it's just like, they let you do all this. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. So I don't know. I want to say the writing. Cause it's sure. like, um, nice. Yeah. Good choice. Well, the conceiving of it, of just like the layers, the different layers of like, uh, you know, things happening. We didn't talk about, uh, that weird, like beeping, and he, he's he just oh yeah the Icarus yeah mm-hmm. yeah really weird he's just like yeah uh, ev- I guess everyone in the game has to listen to this beeping and it's like piercing or something but like we toned it down so you can hear it and they like there's just like so many really interesting things going on and like just the way everything's put together and, and the way that the rules are there are rules but they're also meaningless and like what does that mean um, yeah it's it's really cool. So I would say like the whole like conceiving of that entire world in the film. So probably the writing. That's my Mercedes Valuable Player. Yes. Do I recommend it? Yes. I am going Hell to yeah. not ultimately change my Mercedes Valuable Player, but I will give an honorable mention to the sound design in this movie that yes. you just briefly incredible put out. sound design. The way that the little messages come up uh, and are transcribed, yeah, 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 yeah. it reminded me. It reminded me of Gek 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 from our <laughs> from our one thousand Gek episode uh, back at the end of season one. So hey, shout, shout out to the sound design in this one as well. So I got the Peter Suschinski. Suschinski? Yep. I don't know. Suschinski, uh, Polish, I believe, yeah. Polish cinematographer. Uh, do you guys know what else he is responsible for shooting? Uh, I'm looking at his... Uh, I'm so he's at his... David Cronenberg's tells me, cinematographer. Tells me this is going to be good. So he's, <laughs> he's right. David Cronenberg's cinematographer. So he shot most of his recent movies. So Maps to the Stars, which is a recent first watch for me, Cosmopolis, Dangerous Method, Eastern Promises, and uh, his version of the film Crash. He also shot Mars Attacks, yeah. um, Dead Ringers, that's a Cronenberg movie, uh, Krull, 
and Star Wars Episode Five: The yeah. Empire Strikes Back, as well what? as the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, That's this crazy. guy's had a fucking career, and it rocks. Uh, I I just want to give him like my Governor's Mercedes Valuable Player Award, <laughs> like a <laughs> lifetime achievement award to this guy, uh, just because he's oh, wow. really got his hands in some. Uh, great fucking stuff. Really and it says right here, he's here. the son of the BAFTA Award nominated cinematographer Wolfgang Szczynski, who is responsible for shooting. Let's see. What do we got here? Anything of note? Nope. <laughs> Not that I could. Oh, he shot the original Git Carter. That's cool. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. That's the only that's one that is. I didn't even know that. That's the only that's the only one here that I can that I can make heads or tails of, to be honest with you. But shout out to the Sushinsky cinematography bloodline on that one. cinematography dynasty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We need we need we need the grandson to step up to the plate here. Maybe he is. Who knows? But Chris Bell, thank you so much for coming on our show and bringing, like I said, the definitely the deepest cut pairing we've had so far. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we wrap the show out and say goodbye? Yeah. Um, my first feature film, the winds that scatter is available on means TV, which is a, uh, streaming service new this year. They have a lot of great, uh, specifically lefty programming, um, which includes my movie and, it, uh, it's cheap to sign up so i recommend you do and hey look if it's a big deal if you can't afford it message them they'll work with you nice because that's how they roll um and i would say that yeah. otherwise you can find me on uh most of my short films and stuff on vimeo just uh google christopher jason bell vimeo or vimeo.com slash christopher jason bell that might be my username but if it's not google We'll put it in the notes. I can, I can co-sign. Uh, I have seen the ones that scatter, uh, not on Means TV, but I have seen it, and it is a uh, quite a remarkable little motion picture. So find that uh, however you can. I really liked it. It was really sweet. I watched it. I watched it at my production company job, which was if I got paid for anything good at that production company job is, uh, you know, they didn't have me do anything, so it was prime movie watching time. And uh, Winsett Scatter was one of them that I watched that I really, really like. So check that out, folks. Check out Chris Bell on Vimeo. You can check us out, the show out, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Twitter, we are on, we are at It's On The List Pod. On Instagram, at It's On underscore The List. You can send us an email. Right now, Dustin Titcomb, aforementioned uh, past guest, uh, is the only person that has sent us fan mail. So please send an email to everybody wants to the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Mason. We might even me. read it on the show. We might even read it on the show. Uh, we might even find, read it on the show. You can find me, Mason, on Instagram at Hot Dog Debicki, Hot Dog the Food Debicki, Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, where I'm logging the movies that I watch. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield, and just uh, after 6 p.m. most days, uh, going on a walk, long walk around the city of Chicago. So if you see me. Give me a wave. Give me a uh, nice big hot tea because it is chilly season now. And uh, blow me a kiss. Uh, Noe, where can the folks find you? (laughs) 
Oh boy, the folks can find me on Twitter, of course, at Moa Narger. That is my name, Spoonerisms. Moa, M-O-A-H, Narger, N-A-R-G-E-R. You can find me on Letterboxd under the same Moa Narger. You can follow me on Instagram at Noah.Marger. You can listen to my other podcast. What? I do another podcast? Are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck? Yeah, I do a <laughs> podcast called My Favorite Podcast, which is where I have a guest come on every week and we talk about that guest's favorite of something, something that they really enjoy. It can be anything. It can be a movie. It can be an album. It could be a shoe. It could be a toy. It doesn't matter. I believe... When this episode comes out, I will be talking to another Noah, Mr. Noah Davenport, filmmaker, musician, about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So get ready for that episode. That episode will be dropping as well. Uh, You just gave me the number three. Chris, are you? Spider-Man 3. Big ups for. Damn, okay. Well, that's a conversation for another episode of the podcast. But uh, you can follow that podcast at MyFavePod on Twitter and MyFavoriteMSCorePodcast on Instagram. Uh, if I have another little tiny recommendo that is not something we usually talk about on the show, there is a show on Netflix that is not a Netflix original. It was a direct TV original series that I am slowly but surely watching episodes of. It stars none other than Nick Jonas, of all people, from the Jonas Brothers, and a pre itanya Paul Walter Hauser. So imagine those two on a show. Paul Walter Hauser, unfortunately, doesn't have the biggest role on this show. It's called Kingdom. It's actually very good. It's about the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, a lot of really interesting characters. Lots of good writing on that show. Um, not like the most amazing thing I've ever seen in the world. It's definitely no Sopranos. Hey, it's no Sopranos! But uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm enjoying it. And it's a show that I would watch with my dad. <laughs> so uh, there's that as well uh, but I think that's oh and YLG you can watch YLG stuff at your local government on YouTube and YLG.world that's dot with a period YLG.world on Instagram uh, got some other little things in the works there maybe we'll do that soon who knows Chris Bell Christopher Jason Bell everybody thank you again Chris for coming on thank the show thank you for the show Chris Black Lives me. Matter Black Trans Lives Matter Defund Abolish the Police Save the USPS and uh, tell somebody you love them this week. Thanks for listening. We will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.